This is Read Me Right. Also the control, like if you're in a regular English classroom, they're kind of just like, do this exercise and you don't really think about it, you just answer the questions. Listen to that, without thinking. That's something that kept coming up when I spoke with my students about learning. When they had no control, they did, but didn't think. But they still passed. That if we choose what we want to do, we want to do it. So, <laughs> if we don't choose what we want to do, we don't want to do it. And if we want to do it, we're going to understand it more. Does this matter? Given these learners were achieving without wanting to do, without thinking, what's the problem? Isn't it the result we're after? Or is there something else? Listening to Flo and Elsie here, I can't help but think that there is. Hello, I'm Bevan Holloway, and this is Read Me Right, a three-part podcast series that considers the development of literacy and education contexts driven by learner agency. Today we're going to look at what the data says about the development of literacy in New Zealand, and through that explore the importance of taking a long view when thinking about learning. If you've listened to episode 1, you'll remember the emphasis I placed on learning dispositions and love in the learning process. I also considered the development of the story of self, which I argued was crucial. These ideas, while not explicitly referenced today, are relevant to what we will cover. Let's get on with it. We like to rely on data to tell us what is going on in education. But that doesn't always mean the data tells us what we think it does. And I think that is because decisions about learning are often too narrowly focused. There are two types of data to my mind, and both are relevant. The first type, data about effect. This is mostly achievement-based. It tells us how well kids did in assessments. Effect data is mostly data about the short-term result. So, the effect data about Flo and Elsie is that they passed their assessments. But there's also a second type of data, and that's data about effectiveness. This is about what happens in the long term. Effectiveness data encompasses more than achievement data. Things like attitudes, willingness, achievement over time. It's about the experience and not necessarily the outcome. The effectiveness data about Alcyon flow is the stuff about control and motivation as compared to previous years. Often, effect and effectiveness data sit in opposition or in an uneasy tension. For example, flow and Alcy's achievement data might be similar across the years but the effectiveness data might show a shift. Let's look at this in the context of learning to read. Most schools in New Zealand start this process when kids are five. And schools have a mountain of evidence about the effect of this. How many kids met, exceeded, 
or we're below a standard or an achievement expectation. And often that's where the story ends. What we see is all there is, as Daniel Kahneman says. But there is more, isn't there? Think back to what Flo and Elsie said at the start. When the lens is broadened to consider effectiveness, it often reveals there is more to see. For instance, there is plenty of data we can use to judge the effectiveness of starting reading instruction at 5. And a lot of this data gives us pause to consider how effective it is. Uh, we could take New Zealand-based research conducted at Otago University by Dr. Sebastian Suggett. What he found was that any advantage in early reading instruction was gone by the time the kids got to 11. In other words, those who began reading instruction at age 7, not 5, had caught up by 11 and also showed a slight advantage in reading comprehension. Tortoise in the hare fable, anyone? Clearly we can't judge our decisions solely on data about effect. Effectiveness must also be considered. But when it is, tough questions are raised. Sometimes we need to take a hit on the short-term effect when we pursue an approach that is effective over time. And this is the crux of the matter, right? Because who's prepared to take that hit? Let's dive a little more deeply into data about the state of literacy in New Zealand. Here's what PISA says about the reading performance of our learners. Simply, it's got worse. From 2000, when New Zealand's PISA score in reading was 529, which is 29 points above the PISA average, there has been a decline. And that decline has accelerated since 2009. In 2009, the score was 521, so that's a drop of 8 points in 9 years. In 2018, New Zealand's score was 506. In other words, in the following 9 years, we've experienced a 15-point drop, a doubling of the rate of decline in reading capability in our students. Now, there are many things we can point at for that drop. The default point of blame is the rapid adoption of smartphones and social media. And yeah, that's probably a factor. Sort of a case of iPhone literacy replacing book literacy to a degree. However, the steepest decline happens between the years of 2009 and 2012. We went from 521 to 512 points. And it's a pattern that's mirrored in the maths and science data too. Maths went from 519 to 500 in that period, and science went from 532 to 516. Can we blame phones and social media for that decline as well? Look at those dates. It's the beginning of the National Standards era. If we believe PISA shows us anything, it's that making schools be about measurable progress has a negative impact on learner achievement during the time. But how can this be? Surely doing everything possible to lift achievement is the way to go. Surely the more targeted we get, the more likely we are to lift achievement. 
surely the more focus we put on achievement, the better the results. Here's what else Pisa found, and these are direct quotes published in December of 2019. There has been a decline in reading for enjoyment in New Zealand. More students said they read only if they have to, and read less often, and fewer students read fiction, non-fiction, magazines and newspapers regularly. At the same time, there have been increases in almost all online reading activities. They only read if they have to, or, to put words in their mouths, they read so they can pass tests, get the teacher off their back. And then they jump on Facebook. This is a real concern, given the volumes of research that shows reading for enjoyment is a huge predictor of academic achievement, not to mention being a life-enriching habit. Here's what else. Fewer boys read for enjoyment, and fewer were aware of effective reading strategies. Boys also reported receiving teacher-directed instruction and feedback from teachers more often than girls, and lower enthusiasm from their teachers. Boys get more teacher-directed instruction and feedback, but don't perform as well as girls? That's interesting. And this is worrying. That phrase lower enthusiasm. Is it because, in a climate where achievement is the holy grail, any learner who doesn't progress as much as required by the demands of the system is hard to be enthusiastic about? Shouldn't learning be about enthusiasm? Doesn't it help foster willingness? Here's what else. Students' awareness of effective reading strategies was slightly below the OECD average and has declined slightly since 2009. So, despite all the emphasis on progress and acceleration, our kids have fewer reading strategies than before. Hmm. Finally, New Zealand's proportion of poor readers increased from 14% in 2000 to 17% in 2015. The proportion of high-performing readers declined from 19% to 14%. So, again, over that time period, we have more students performing at lower levels of achievement despite all the emphasis on achievement. Let's look at national standards data from 2012 to 2016. Now this is found on the Education Counts website. That data shows there's no significant shift in reading achievement over that time period. It ranged from 77% to 78% of students performing at or above the standard every year during that period. No shift. Read NZ in their 2018 book reading in New Zealand research found that 14% of adults in New Zealand had not read or started a book in the past year. Now that's equivalent to 400,000 adults. Is that a scary number? How can this be? New Zealand has been trying so hard. Now surely the answer is not to say that teachers just need to do things better, because it's not unreasonable to assume that even if they had been doing things 
okay, we would have seen some positive shift in reader achievement. After all, that was the point of all the system changes and demands that placed a focus on progress and acceleration, measured through achievement data. But here's the kicker. After all that effort, our kids can, on the whole, read, although fewer of them than before we started down that road. But the number of them who want to read is dropping. They don't see that reading is something that adds value to their life. Let's get back to the data. If we think about the data from those three sources, there are some worrying trends, right? Now those trends are, one, students have fewer strategies for reading. Two, there is lower enthusiasm from teachers. Three, there's a decline in reading for enjoyment. Four, there are falling rates of achievement in the PISA data and or no increase in achievement in the national standards data. And five, a significant number of adults who don't read books. Are we happy with what the data is saying about literacy in New Zealand? Are we prepared to, at best, sustain levels of reading achievement at the expense of other aspects of the reading experience? Let's split those trends into the two different data sets. So number one, effect data. That's the achievement data stuff. It's a pretty narrow lens and it's short term. So the national standards data says that our kids have not lost any ground in reading achievement. So what we've been doing is no worse than before, basically. However, this data is contradicted by the PISA data. So we have to ask... Which one is accurate or which one do we want to believe? Now the second set, the effectiveness data, that's the experience stuff and it has a wider lens and it's more long-term focused. So what have we seen there? Well, we're seeing drops in the enthusiasm of teachers. We're seeing drops in reading for enjoyment. We're seeing drops in the strategies used by readers. And we're also seeing a worrying number of adults who don't read. As you can see, the effectiveness data offers the wider lens through which we can judge the impact of our practice. It helps us to make sense of the effect data set. Also, you can see effectiveness data is related to the willingness disposition, which is where I think you'll find love. And love, remember, is where we find the drive to do. I'm reminded here of Milton Friedman's argument that business has one purpose, maximizing profit. We've been treating schools in a similar way. Their one purpose, maximizing achievement. Both are easy to measure. But when there's only one easily quantifiable purpose, what you get is short-termism. It's what we've been seeing in schools, a focus on maximising achievement year on year. But to paraphrase Henry Ford, a school system that relies on little else than achievement data is a poor kind of school system. Now I think this is where the value of taking a long view when it comes to the development of literacy is important. In a short-term view, 
it is too easy to place emphasis on effect data. We can easily make assessment calls about the reading ability of learners over the course of the year. It's what's reported on. But then we move on. The day is done. Tomorrow is another one. Things will be better. And for better, read achievement will be accelerated and higher. However, as any follower of Test Cricket knows, focusing exclusively on short-term gains robs your side of long-term prospects because a day only makes sense when seen in the context of the other days. And sometimes there is more long-term value in not advancing things quickly, in riding the ebbs and flows of progress. The best captains know the value of time. They know how it reveals the true value of an act. Now there is really a nice linear trajectory towards victory. Of course, New Zealand's Tour of Australia is the obvious exception here that proves that rule. Acceleration is always a short-term endeavour that must be only employed wisely, not ubiquitously. Because if effect was all that mattered, then as many runs as quickly as possible would always be the best option. So, you could say, the average first innings score across test history is 324. So, break it down. Say to all batsmen, 35 is your target. The quicker the better. If we all do that, we'll be above average and in with a great shot. But we don't know how effective those runs are until time has run its course. I've seen many slow innings that were much more valuable and effective than a dashing 35 because they kept their side in the game for longer, they built belief and a willingness to push on. The long-term view counts. As Simon Sinek says, quote, Sometimes it is important to strategically slow the rate of growth to help ensure the security of the long term. What needs securing in the long term when it comes to literacy? It's the effectiveness stuff. Love. Willingness. A desire to read when you don't have to. So the question then becomes, what learning approaches and conditions are most likely to foster those things? Because at the moment the effectiveness data tells us that we're not. Being able to read is not what makes a learner successful. Wanting to read does. And we know that emphasizing reading for pleasure and having control over learning fosters a willingness to read. Who is prepared to slow the rate of growth in the short term? Now I don't know about you, but I'd rather have a 15-year-old who wants to read than one who only wants to read when they have to. At the moment, we're more likely to get the latter, despite, or maybe because of, our emphasis on progress, acceleration and achievement. I don't think this is a teacher practice issue. I also don't think it's a wrong tools issue either. I think it's a wrong focus issue. 
When you think about it, a focus on the short-term progress is actually a focus on the needs of a system, as expressed through the teacher and the school. This focus is exclusively on effect data, how many students achieve. And as a result of this, we are seeing a decline in the effectiveness of our instruction. So what we have here is a misalignment of interests between the kid and the system. And the power imbalance means the system's interest wins. Now yes, I know that often the demands of the system are huge, and that those demands are often data-driven. So let's look at what the New Zealand curriculum says about assessment and data. If you turn to page 40 of the document, you'll see a diagram of the people involved in learning, along with a description of the characteristics of effective assessment. At the top of both sits the student and what they call information for learning. The curriculum says that that is the most important data in a school. So what is most apparent when you look at the diagram is that not all levels or the people in the diagram require the same kind of information. Indeed, there is a separate section on school-wide assessment. So, what information do school leaders need to do their job? Because it's not the same information that a teacher needs. And how can that information be gathered in a way that places the learner's needs first? As described in the New Zealand curriculum, learners and the relationship with the teacher are at the top of the pile. Not school leaders or boards or aero. Everyone else needs to act in support of the learner. So what if we focused instead on the learning needs of the kid over time? What if the point of our literacy instruction was the development of people who want to read, who see reading as something worth doing, who develop a love for reading? The long-term view is important because it results in practices that mean a willingness to be literate is more likely to develop and endure. The long view gives us time to gather and attend to effectiveness data. So, in our instance, it forces us to ask what approaches we need to sustain reading achievement and lift attitudes to reading. It allows us to accept both a slowing of progress alongside wisely employed phases of acceleration. Why does control make all the difference? Because you're actively choosing to do something. Yeah, which means... Instead of just kind of just not... Not as much like... You're not as invested or, you know, if it's your decision, you're more likely to have an interest because you decided to do that. Yeah, because you want to do it. So you're, you're actually going to do it if you want to do it. You're not just going to mindlessly do what the teacher tells you to. Control equals interest, which equals a want to do. These things matter, don't they? We can get short-term achievement without them, but once the requirement to achieve is gone, what are we left with?
I'd like to end by quoting Julian Bell of the Royal Drawing School. He writes, when discussing ways of justifying drawing, that politicians might point to economic benefits. And while this may be just, it upends priorities. Love is the best available argument, he says. Love takes time to grow and is fragile, impossible to measure, but is infinite in its depth. We have had endless economic arguments presented for the benefit of being literate, and they're true. Literate people generally have better jobs. We've been told that charting progress towards being literate is the best way to secure that benefit for our kids. But I think this is misguided because, as I argued in episode 1, we don't become literate for its economic benefits, but for its human ones. As Bell says, and my kids know, love is the thing that justifies effort over time. The fullness of time is showing us we are sacrificing love in our pursuit of achievement. It's not working. That's it. Next week, the learning playground as a learning context in which agency can flourish. Now remember, there's a Google Doc that is a companion to this series. Um, it's a space for you to write comments or questions that you may have. So please, anything that's in your mind around that, jump on there and put them on there. And I'll um, do my best to um, connect with those in episode three, which as a reminder is the final episode. Thanks to the Wellington Literacy Association for supporting the development of this series. Noho Otomai everyone, we'll see you next week.